Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of September 11th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you to take your, your Bibles and open them to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 5. This morning, our message is entitled, A Last Supper. Now you hear the word Last Supper, you're probably thinking about what we sometimes call the Last Supper. And of course, that's that moment that calls to mind that, uh, that moment when Jesus gathered his disciples together with him in that upper room the night before his crucifixion. Well, this is not that. This is a Last Supper. Now, in the Last Supper, you recognize the change in the, the articles there. In, in the Last Supper, we recognize all that Christ said and did that night. And by the way, we will be celebrating, remembering the Last Supper by taking part of the Lord's Supper. There are all kinds of suppers here. Uh, and the Lord's Supper here in about two weeks. On the 25th of this month, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper again on that morning. So just want to put that there and let you know about that. But in, in that Last Supper, Jesus himself demonstrated a lot of things. He, he demonstrated a great humility in that he washed his disciples' feet, even Judas' feet, even Peter's feet, who would deny him. He told them that they should serve one another as he had demonstrated that night. Now, Jesus knew what that meal was. He knew it was his last supper, so to speak, before his crucifixion. The disciples really did not. They didn't understand what was going on. You know, often before momentous events, often sometimes before those things that will change our lives, we don't know those events are coming. So often those momentous events that impact our lives, are, they happen without kind of any he didn't notice. They happened just kind of out of the blue. Belshazzar, who is the king we're going to be looking at this morning in Daniel chapter 5, is about to experience that type of event, and he really has no idea what's on his way. So as we come to Daniel chapter 5, let me kind of, let me kind of catch you up on what's happening, a little, a little historical setup, if you will. We have been looking through the life of Daniel, and when we come to Daniel chapter 5, uh, the king we have been seeing Daniel interact with this entire time has been Nebuchadnezzar. When we get to Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar has been dead for probably upwards of 15 years. If you remember, Daniel was probably a young, middle-aged teenager, if you will. <coughs> probably not, not much more than 14, 15, 16 years old when, he, when we see him in Daniel chapter 1. Last week in Daniel chapter 4, we saw Daniel as a middle-aged man. Roughly my age, for example, perhaps. And Nebuchadnezzar was near the end of his reign. Well, now we have flashed forward 15 to 20 more years later. Daniel is probably in his 70s in the events of Daniel chapter 5. <coughs> and there's a new king, at least there's a new leader named Belshazzar. When Nebuchadnezzar died in the years before these events, uh, it was somewhat chaotic. Those who would have succeeded him uh, had lots of problems. They weren't quite the kings that Nebuchadnezzar had been. There had been chaos. There had been assassinations. There had been instability. And Belshazzar, who is talked about in this chapter, is serving as kind of a, a, a second-hand king. His, his, uh, a guy named Nabonidus was actually the main king, but he was so unpopular in Babylon that he had essentially moved south established a second capital and was hanging out there and had left Belshazzar in, in Babylon proper to kind of serve as his proxy king. That's how bad things had gotten. 
And as we come to the events of chapter 5, Babylon was being in the process of being invaded by what we would now come to know as the Persian Empire. So all these things are happening. This is what's happening. This is, this is the context of Daniel chapter 5. So let's begin reading in verse 1. Now Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine, praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. The king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. The king's face grew pale, his thoughts alarmed him, his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. Verse 10. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because of an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who was one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Let's skip down to verse 17. Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished he killed, and whomever he wished he spared alive, and whomever he wished he elevated, and whomever he wished he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from the mankind. For mankind, his heart was made like that of beasts. His dwelling place was, that, was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, your heart, even though you knew all this. But you've exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines have been drinking wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written out. This is the inscription that was written out. Many, many tekel a parson. This is the interpretation of the message 
Many. God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel. You've been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez. Your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave orders and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we are reminded of all that you have said and done. And would you use your word this morning to teach us what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we have read through Daniel's chapters 2, 3, and 4 the last several weeks, one of the, the, the really overarching themes has been this. God is sovereign. This is His world. He created. He reigns as God Himself. God raises and deposes kings. He grants authority and removes it. His kingdom, the kingdom of God, is the only eternal, lasting kingdom. Daniel knows this, as do his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their, their behavior over the last couple chapters has reflected their knowledge of God's kingdom being the ultimate source of authority and power. That enables them to respond to Nebuchadnezzar in chapters 1 and 2 and 3, how they do. They know that whether they're faced with a fiery furnace or with a, de with a death sentence from the king, they know that ultimately God is sovereign. God is in control. This, of course, enables them to live faithful in the midst of faithless times. We've kind of called this series this. Daniel, faithful living in faithless times. And by faithless times, we're not talking only about a culture in Babylon that's opposed to the things of God. We are talking also about daily and weekly experiences that these individuals would have had with those around them who are self-centered and proud and unkind and cruel and crude, even immoral. We're talking about regular encounters that Daniel would have had with circumstances that, challenge and un that would challenge his understanding of who God is, that would challenge his understanding of God's Word through the prophets, that would have caused him, perhaps, and those like him to wonder and to perhaps even question whether or not what he believes about God is true. The fact is that you and I live in such days even today. We live in times that are faithless. We live in times when we have a culture and a world that's opposed to the things and the truths of God. But even more than that, we, have, we live in times where you and I are confronted day in and day out by individual people and circumstances that might cause us to question the truth of Scripture and the truth of God's Word. You and I, on a regular basis, encounter people who are cruel and crude and immoral. We encounter circumstances that are difficult and hard and painful, just the way Daniel and his friends would have. Now, by the way, it's not only those things. To be in faithless times also means to be tempted by pleasure, the pleasures of this world. Daniel chapter 1, Daniel's tempted by the pleasures of being in the king's household. And, of course, Daniel turns his back on those as well. We can be in faithless times tempted to find ourselves distracted away from God by the pleasures of this world or by the pains of this world, either one. Satan will use all these things, whether they be frightening and dangerous or whether they can give us great pleasure. He will use these things to encourage us to turn our back on the truth of God and His kingdom. 
By the way, this is one reason, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, the worship of God, the coming back to the Word of God in Scripture, the gathering of God's people together on a regular basis, this is the reason that these things are so absolutely crucial for those who would proclaim God as their God. Because these things are regular reminders to us that the times that we live in, that the things of this world that might distract us from God, that these things are not real, they're illusions, that the truth of God, that the true reality of our existence is found in God himself and the truths that are, that are told to us in Scripture. These times of worship, these times of prayer, these times of Scripture, these are all things that God uses to remind us of who He is. These are things that God uses to fan our, our faith into a, a roaring flame, as Paul will talk about in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So this has all been a great theme in Daniel, the, the, the sovereignty, the eternal true nature of who God is and His kingdom, despite what appearances in this world might lie to us about. This understanding of the truth of God's kingdom has enabled Daniel and his friends to live out faithful lives in faithless times. But Belshazzar is not in that category. And as we see the opening events of chapter 5, what we see is that Belshazzar, in his arrogance and his pride, has decided to not only have a great feast, and by the way, as we see at the end of this chapter, that great feast he's having with all these nobles is done while there is an invading army of Persians literally at the gates of his city. Belshazzar has decided that the best way to handle the invading army on his doorstep is to ignore them and to chow down and get drunk. So in that process, Belshazzar has not only decided to have this party, he has decided to bring out the instruments and the things that were taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem some 65 years before this, to bring them out and to party with those things. Now, you might ask the question, why would he take out things that had been back there in the back storage room for 60-something years? Well, there are some hints throughout this passage, and, and even the way that ultimately Belshazzar will greet Daniel, there are some hints here that Belshazzar does not have the same respect for Daniel or for the Jews that Nebuchadnezzar seems to have had by the end of his life. You remember last week, as we saw the events of chapter 4, and God mightily humbling Bel, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, as we see even Daniel uh, rehearsed for us here in chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar seems to have come to some knowledge of and even worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had, Nebuchadnezzar had, had elevated Daniel to a position of great authority in Babylon. But Belshazzar and those who came after Nebuchadnezzar have undone all that. And it seems that Daniel and it seems that the Jewish people have come into some measure of disfavor in the Babylonian Empire. And Belshazzar seems to be going out of his way to not only dislike the Jews and to dishonor the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he going, he's going out of his way to mock God by bringing these artifacts in from Jerusalem, by bringing these artifacts that were taken from the temple and partying with them. Belshazzar is going out of his way to thumb his nose, if you will, at God. He's mocking God. It's an incredible display of arrogance. To take the things of God and to use them in such a way as to, to raise, up our, raise up himself. 
to take the very gifts of God to his people, things that were meant to point our attention, to point the people's attention to God, and to take those things and make it about himself. <coughs> this is what Belshazzar is doing. You get a further sense of this cool relationship. I've got a couple other hints here. In the middle of all this, we have this encounter with that uh, hand out of nowhere writing on the wall. Now this uh, freaks them out a little bit, as it might us. Uh, the reality is, if all of a sudden there's a hand out of nowhere that just kind of shows up and writes on the wall, I'm sure it would all get, it would probably gather our attention quite, quite sharply. And and uh, uh, Belshazzar does what Nebuchadnezzar had often done: called all those those conjurers and all those magicians up to him and say, help me out here, what does this mean? Now, it is kind of, I want you to know, you get a glimpse into his character there when it says that uh, uh, he was perplexed. It also says in verse 6, it says, his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. Now, we get the idea of knocking knees, right? We get the picture of that. Um, sometimes our English translations really um, are softer than the original language. We'll just say this. The implication is he lost control of his bowels. All right? This happened, and yeah, he made a mess of things. This is how scared Belshazzar is. Yeah, that, that communicates it, doesn't it? <laughs> and so he calls in all these guys, and of course none of them can do anything. And it says the queen. It's probably more accurately described as the queen mother. This might have been either Belshazzar's mom or maybe, uh, maybe specifically Nebuchadnezzar's widow. So it's not his wife necessarily, it's someone older than him. And she comes in and she essentially reminds him, by the way, and understand, Daniel points this out later on, Belshazzar knows who Daniel is. And she points out to him in front of everybody, you know, there's Daniel. Now, she, she does it very respectfully because you don't, in that day, even if you're the queen mother, you don't come and try to embarrass the king in front of a thousand people. That doesn't usually end well. So she comes in and she gently chides and reminds him, you know that way that, that moms can do? You know that way that mom can correct you and maybe chide you a little bit without being too mean about it? Your know, moms have that skill? Well, that's what she does here. And she comes in and she sits and reminds him, you know, there's Daniel, that guy that your dad or it really, it's, if we see the word father there, it just really means you're, you're just, you know, someone you descended from. So it might be, Nebuchadnezzar might have been his grandfather, but anyway, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the real good king we had, so to speak, back then, Daniel was who he trusted. You might want to pull him out of mothballs, because we do get the idea here that Daniel and his friends had, were no longer in the positions of influence they had once been, and they'd been kind of shelved off to the side. So Belshazzar is... Is, is reminded by, by her that he could use some help for the king. And, this, and make no doubt about it, this king is a, is a spiritually blind king. You may remember a few weeks ago we talked about what idolatry does to us and how we become like what we worship. And when we worship things that are blind, when we worship things that don't have eyes or that have eyes but can't see, we worship things that can't hear, we worship things that can't speak, we become like that. In a spiritual sense, we become like what we worship. Well, he had become like that. And then Daniel comes up and says, oh yeah, I'll help you out. But one thing you may notice, that, again, to emphasize this, 
somewhat cool relationship Belshazzar had with Daniel, you recognize that when Daniel shows up, he doesn't say things like, oh, most king, live forever. He, he doesn't have some of the, uh, the nice things he said to, to Nebuchadnezzar back in the day. Remember the last time we, he spoke to Nebuchadnezzar and he had that dream that he interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. He said, listen, I wish this wasn't true for you. I wish this was true of your enemies. Daniel doesn't have anything nice to say to Belshazzar. <laughs> Daniel just shows up and says, um, King, you should have known better. You have taken the things of God. You know who God is. Because Belshazzar would have been around during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar, Daniel even says, you know, Belshazzar, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he got arrogant and when God humbled him. All those things we looked at last week in chapter 4. Belshazzar, you know all this. You know what God did to Nebuchadnezzar. You know what he said. You know the truth, Belshazzar. And knowing all this, you have rejected it. You knew better. So Daniel is not minting words. He's not being polite. He's just kind of getting blunt and to the point, no being nice to Belshazzar. He just kind of tells him the way it is. I mentioned a little bit ago what we call the Last Supper. And this is, for Belshazzar, a Last Supper. It is his Last Supper. Now, at the Last Supper, at Jesus' Last Supper, Jesus has said things like, uh, you know the great rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. Well, these are things that Jesus said before, but Jesus says, he told the disciples, they're, the, the Gentiles, their great men exercise authority over them. It's not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 tells us that you and I, as followers of Christ, are to have the same attitude that Christ had, a humility towards one another, a loving of one another the way that Christ has loved us. And we think about that last supper, the night before Christ was crucified, we think of, a, of an intimate, loving, caring supper where Christ is doing all that he can to look out for them, to prepare them for the moments that are about to take place. These are the images. Sacrifice, service, humility, love, mercy. Yeah, when we come to the supper that Belshazzar has here in Daniel 5, we see the exact opposite. We see arrogance, irresponsibility, self-centeredness, ego, hatefulness, sarcasm. As Belshazzar is using the things that God has given to elevate himself and to mock God. In addition to this, all this, again, there is this Persian army sitting at the doorsteps of Babylon. Now, Babylon was seen by many of that day as to be essentially invincible. We talked about this last week as, Bab as, uh, uh, as, as, as Nebuchadnezzar had been looking out over his capital. He was incredibly arrogant. That's what caused God to, to deal with Nebuchadnezzar. The, the walls were huge, tall, and thick. The city was considered to be almost militarily unat unattackable. You had great things like the great hanging gardens of Babylon, considered to be one of the great wonders of the ancient world. It had a humongous store of food. 
Babylon, Belshazzar thought themselves invincible. So even when the invading army is at their doorstep, Belshazzar feels he's got nothing to worry about. And instead of tending to the defense of his city and of his people, he decides to get drunk. So not only is he arrogant, he's irresponsible. He's mocking God and the things going on around him. So Daniel comes in, he, lets it, he reminds him of all that God did with Nebuchadnezzar, and he, he essentially interprets the handwriting on the wall. Many, many tekeluparzin. Many literally has this idea that it's, it's, it's the idea of numbering something. It's the idea of being measured, if you will, weighed. Belshazzar, God, the God who's given you life, has weighed you, has measured you. He's numbered you. Many, many tekel. It's in, every, in every way, God has looked at you, turned you upside down, looked at what you're worth, looked at what you've done, look at what you have to offer, and he's found you, Belshazzar, absolutely hollow and worthless. And then that last word, uparzin, or you have the word perez in verse 28. It's the same word, just different tenses. Essentially means this. God is going to divide you up. He's going to split you up, tear you apart, and spread you to the, to the four corners of the world. I, I found myself thinking, as I talked about the last, the last Supper, and we thinking about even those last moments of Christ, I thought about what it meant to be divided and torn apart. I had an image in my mind pop up of, the Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross taking Jesus' robe. Y'all remember this? And gambling for it and tearing it into pieces to spread amongst themselves. Well, this time it's not Roman soldiers doing the tearing apart. It is God himself doing the tearing apart of Belshazzar and the Babylonian kingdom or the city that is left. Belshazzar should have known, Daniel said. You knew all this. And yet you have chosen to detest and to mock and to use the things of God for your own benefit. By the way, as Daniel points out here, Belshazzar does know. Belshazzar knew the truth. Sometimes you and I, and, and we, we, we figure this, we, 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 this happens to us. We value you and I in our culture and our world and even as a church. We value knowledge. We value education. We value information. You and I know that there is value and worth in data and knowing truth and facts. But one thing we see here in Belshazzar, it is this. Salvation, a right relationship with God, is not merely about knowing facts. You can educate yourself all you want on what Scripture has to say. We can know the history of the Bible. We can know that the events around Jesus' life took place. We can know that those are facts. Belshazzar knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He knew what God had done to Nebuchadnezzar. He knew how Nebuchadnezzar responded. He knew all the facts. Belshazzar had all the information. He was educated. And so many of us can be like Belshazzar. We can have all the information. We can know the truth of Scripture. We can know this and we can know that. We can have been raised in Bible study and Sunday school. We can be able to recite all the Bible stories. 
And knowledge is important. You, you need to have knowledge. We talk about it. it's important to know the truths of Scripture. But by itself, knowing data doesn't get you very far. What ultimately was Belshazzar's downfall was not a lack of knowledge of God. His, his downfall was not a lack of knowledge of what God had done. His, his, his education or his lack of education wasn't the problem. Belshazzar's problem was he knew the truth and in front of God and in front of the data, Belshazzar was arrogant. He was proud and he was self-centered. In other words, he lacked humility. We can have all the Bible knowledge you can think about. We can have all the education we want. You can go to seminary and get yourself a Bible degree in theology if you want to. And all that's great, and it won't save you a lick. It is a broken and contrite heart before God that does that. Belshazzar knew the truth and rejected it. All the information, all the education in the world doesn't change a heart. Humility and repentance do. We sometimes think about humility and repentance as negative things. We use terms like, well, I, had, I was doing my life and I was living this way and I was living that way and God began to work and finally I broke down and I surrendered to God. Well, I get that. But brokenness and repentance and humility before God is not a curse. In fact, they are great blessings and gifts. Humility before God is not something we begrudgingly take if we have to. The humility before God is a gift that God gives us so that we can have a right relationship with Him. Repentance is not a curse, it's a blessing. Humility is not a curse, it's a blessing. These are things that God gives us so that we can, in fact, be rescued. This is why God so, so, so factors in humility and how he demonstrates himself to us. It was in humility that Christ himself, the Son of God, came and lived out his life in front of us. It was in humility that he set aside for a time these things and submitted himself to the death on a cross. God recognizes that the gift of humility and repentance and, 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 uh, is so valuable that he himself demonstrated it for us. Whether it's Jesus washing the disciples' feet at his Last Supper, or whether it's his instructions to us that to be great in the kingdom of God is to serve those around us and not to lord anything over anybody. What Belshazzar lacks is not knowledge. What Belshazzar lacks is the gift of humility and repentance. He mocks God. And as a result, not even being aware that this was his last meal, he will not make it through the night. I'm reminded of a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12 of a rich man. A man who was so wealthy and so rich, he looked at all his grain, all his fields, and said, well, pff, I, I got so much I don't know what to do with. I guess I'll just build up bigger storehouses. I'll just hoard more. And that night, in the story that Jesus tells, God comes to him and says, that's enough. It is time that you come 
away. Your life was taken from you. You just had your last meal. Now, truth is, we never know when our last meal is taking place. Now, hopefully, we're not in the situation that Belshazzar was in or the man in that parable was in, but the truth is, we never know when our last supper is around us. And, and for us, the solution to not knowing that, to be, the solution to be able to live faithful like Daniel and his friends did is to know that whatever meal it is, that we have approached God with humility and repentance, relying upon His mercy. When we take, you and I, the resources, the money, the time, the energy, the breath, whatever it is that God has given us, the spiritual gifts that God has provided to us, and then we take those things and we find ourselves prideful of those things. We become self-gratified, use them for our own purposes. We run the same course that Belshazzar did. When we see what God has provided for us and we see them as useful tools for accomplishing the work of God, then we are, of course, on Daniel's path. Let me just ask you a question. How have you used this week the things that God has given you? How have you used the very breath? How have you used your time? How have you used your voice? How have you used those things that God's given you? Are they on a shelf for you to admire? Have they been used to pump up your own ego like Belshazzar? Or maybe like the parable, parable that you just told, are they, have they been buried in the backyard somewhere like that unfaithful servant? Out of sight. What's so often kind of intuitive for us is this, that the more you share and give away what God's given you, the more you actually end up having. It's a kingdom principle. But ultimately, the defense against all this, the defense against the fate of Belshazzar, the way we make sure we don't end up like him, is to have in front of us lives of daily, humble submission and repentance before God. To daily worship to daily spend time in His Word, to be daily reminded, whether we're at home in our prayer closet or whether we're gathered here on a Sunday morning with one another, to be reminded daily that God is sovereign. He is God. We exist for Him and not the other way around. That's the invitation this morning. To simply be a people that live before Him in daily humility so that we will not run the course of Belshazzar.